good or doing well? Hope you're doing well. Whatever is grammatically correct uh, to say there. I want to get it right. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can just open them right away to the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. I know when we read the Bible, sometimes we get into sections of the Scripture that feel like, um, I don't, I don't want to say you get bogged down, but you kind of feel like, oh, you know, I've got here. Like Psalm, the book of Psalms has 119 chapters. That's a lot. And you kind of get in there and you're like, yeah, I, I read a Psalm and it, you know, I leave me beside still waters. Yeah, I get it. I get it. And I'm just going to move on. And I think sometimes the, the, the New Testament has these, this section of what we call epistles, um, but they're just letters. They're just mail. And you get in there and you're kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, you know, do the right thing. Try to be nice to everybody. Just love people. And we just kind of get like we've got it figured out a little bit. Um, but the book of Thessalonians is like a uniquely um, cool piece of writing in the New Testament, particularly when you know the story behind the story, uh, the story behind the book. So uh, we'll just give you a real quick recap. This church that Paul is writing to should not exist. It just shouldn't exist because what had happened is Paul had, had, he had strolled into town and he had planned on setting up camp and really digging in and evangelizing and teaching people all about the gospels and all about how to be a disciple and just all the ins and outs. And he got in there and things started off hot. I mean, it was good. People were being converted right and left, just kind of like typical New Testament stuff. And about three weeks in, uh, there were some people that got a little frustrated about what he was talking about because they could see the writing on the wall. In fact, there were some people who their job was to sell idols. So they made idols, sold them. And Paul's coming in telling people like, hey, these idols are no good. You got to throw them away. You know, they're ridiculous. And so they would get a little worked up about that. So three weeks in, this group started this riot, got Paul chased out of town, and that was it for the church. I mean, there's just, you know, that's just not a good way to start a church. It's not, you just can't really put down roots in three weeks. You can't really teach anybody anything in three weeks, or it's just not much. And so Paul has to run off to this other city, and he's just super nervous about these Christians. Did they make it? What's going on? Because essentially what's going on is that these are brand new Christians, and they are um, in a hostile environment, and they are completely on their own. I mean, brand new Christians, hostile environment, completely on their own. They just don't have anything really kind of going for them, so to speak. And you can imagine how nervous that you might be. It's the same kind of, I imagine, it's the same kind of sentiment. Um, my, my daughter just got her license earlier this week. Just got her license. And uh, I watched her because she has the license and she's excited just to drive places. When you get a license, you just want to drive. So I watched her pull out of our driveway and take off down the road. And you know, as a parent, you know what that's, you remember what that's like. You're just like, ah, please come back. <laughs> please. And, and Paul had that sentiment. He actually literally in the letter, he says, we were orphaned from you. Meaning we felt like we had this connection. We just felt like it was completely cut off. And he's so worried about them. So he sends one of his good buddies, a guy by the name of Timothy, uh, you probably heard of, to find out what's going on. I mean, so just imagine, imagine this. I, I, you know, we'll try to wrap our minds around this. But imagine it's a brand new driver and it's a stick shift and it's construction traffic during rush hour. It's a recipe for disaster, 
right? I mean, it's just, there's just no way. And you can imagine biting your fingernails and thinking like, man, if they make it through this, like, you know what, I can't even, can't even wrap my mind around this. So it's exactly what's going on. He sends Timothy back to find out, to sneak back into town and say, how are those folks doing? And Timothy brings back this report. Um, and he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he says, for now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. Excuse me, that's chapter 3, verse 8. For now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. This may or may not be from personal experience, but have any of you ever lost something that was really important? And, uh, you know, say maybe, just, you know, hypothetically, a passport. And hypothetically, it was the day before an international trip you were going to take. And imagine that you were leading a mission trip full of people from a particular church. And the night before, you look in the spot that you always keep your passport. It's always in that drawer. And you open up the drawer and you glance in and it's not there and your heart drops. And all of a sudden, you're going through all these scenarios in your mind of like, what's going to happen? I'm gonna, they're going to be on their own. I'm, we're just going to send all these teens off into the wild blue yonder. You know, what, how is this going to work? I can't find my passport. Can I call up like our government? And can, can we fast track a passport? I need it in like 15 minutes. I mean, all these scenarios are going through your mind. What is not going through your mind is thinking, no big deal. I'm just going to, you know, I'll, I'll go to bed. I'm sure it's around somewhere. I mean, this is high priority. You are prepared to stay awake all night. You are not getting on social media. You are not going to watch a movie. You are not going to relax. You are just like totally focused and intent until you find this. Now, this is all hypothetical, of course. And, and if I have had a situation like that, I don't know what is wrong with me, but after many, many hours of worries and many, many like heart failure because I'm like, what's going to happen? I open up the drawer where I always keep it, and there it was. And I'm like, how did that happen? I'm just sure I overlooked it. If you ask my wife, she'll just tell you I can't find anything ever. But at least I had it in the right spot. But it's this sense of relief once you find this thing that you've been looking for. Once you have this resolution to this problem that you've been struggling with. It's just a huge sense of relief. And that's exactly what Paul is trying to express in this sentence. For now we really live. We really live. We can breathe again. Because these people we were so worried about, we found that they were standing firm in the Lord. And so in this series, we've been talking about these qualities that this group of people had that was the difference between like making it and just falling apart. That was the difference between success and failure. And, and not to take anything away from the Spirit of God who is clearly working in the lives of these people, but these folks had some, some qualities and some attributes that made it, that, that like they could lean into because this was a difficult situation. They, like people did not want them to be following Christ in this town that they were in. And so they had these qualities that they could lean into, and the result was this, Paul describes it by this, this uh, phrase, standing firm. Standing firm. And it's one of Paul's favorite phrases. If you read his other letters, he wrote most of the New Testament. So if you read these other letters, he just uses this phrase all the time. It's all over uh, his writing. And it seems to be a way for him of gauging relative spiritual health. Um, that they're standing firm. That there's these beliefs and they're continuing to live them out. And I think the meaning is, is mostly self-apparent. But I think it's important for us to at least recognize that there are forces that are a threat to our, our faith. 
that, that, that really want to chip away at the things that we believe and the way that those beliefs would work themselves out in the world. There are forces that want to like undermine that. And, and I would say like even the gravitational pull of life kind of undermines this, this like standing firm. And, and I think the other inherent idea in that phrase is that we have the ability to withstand that. That we have the ability to take a belief and live it out in the world and like do well and be a light. Like we can't, that is possible. I think, and again, I haven't done this yet, and I know some of you parents are getting ready to send your kids off to college, but I think this is exactly the character trait that every parent wants in their kids. So you've had your kids, you know, you're with them night and day, they're little, you take care of them, you feed them, you clean them, and they grow up and they become more and more and more independent. And there are certain sort of like, uh, like points in their life where you're kind of like releasing them out in the world. You know, what, you know what I mean? So maybe it's the first day of high school and you're just like, you're excited for them, you're anxious because you know that like, you know high school can be a little bit of a hostile environment, it's a little difficult. You know that there's going to be kids out there whose parents didn't raise them the same way you would raise your children, and there's going to be pressures for those kids to do different things, and you send them off, you put them on the bus, or you drop them off at the front door, and you're just sitting there, and you're thinking like, please, you know, just do the right thing. You know, it's the classic, make good choices. And you as a parent, that's, this is what you want for your kids. Or maybe it's them going to their first prom. And, you know, kids go crazy at prom for whatever reason. You just like, please, you know, I, I just, I hope that everything that I've taught you, like, really just has sunk deep. And that you are going to make good choices in this moment. Maybe it's when they head off for college. And you're just like, ah, oh, you know, you're out in the world and I'm not going to be there to micromanage you anymore. Fortunately, with the advent of apps like Find My Friends and things like that, you can still micromanage some from a distance, but for the most part. But we're setting them off into the world, and, and we just we want them to be rock solid. So parents, you can understand that. And that's what Paul was saying that he wanted for these Christians. I just want them to be rock solid. I want them to stand firm. We want this for ourselves, right? We want to be people of principle, we want to be people who are in a situation where there is, you know, there's people who are just, you know, doing the right thing or what, whatever it is. And we want to be people who kind of like are a little bit of a beacon of light in, in those moments. We want that quality. I, I cannot help but think back to, I don't know, fourth grade or fifth grade U.S. history. Uh, and maybe it's because his name's Patrick, but like one of my favorite, you know, founding fathers was Patrick Henry, right? You, you all know what he said. He's trying to encourage like, his fellow uh, colonists to say, like, we've got to fight you know, back against the British, right? And, and, and it's, it's interesting. I was reading a little bit about this this week. Uh, nobody transcribed his message. There's no, we don't have his notes, Patrick Henry, Henry's notes. So this is all years later, people who were present put together this speech. You can read the whole speech because that's how moving it was, is people remembered it years later. I mean, people don't remember what I preached on Tuesday after Sunday at our small group. So, I mean, this was something else. This was amazing. And then, of course, he wraps it up by saying, give me liberty or give me death. I, I want whatever that virtue is. I, I would love for that sort of virtue to be inside me. This is, this is part of who I want to be. Well, I have good news and bad news. Um, I think most of us definitely have the ability to stand firm. We have that ability. More often than not, we expend it on some pretty silly things. And I guess what we're talking about specifically is there's this narrow line between standing firm and being stubborn. 
A narrow line between standing firm and being stubborn. Aren't you glad you brought your spouse today? Because we're going to talk a little bit about stubbornness. I think most of us, we want the give me liberty or give me death type character. But the way it comes out is let me speak to your manager type character. That's the way those kind of moments come out. I'm stubborn. I'm standing firm. But it feels like it gets spent on some pretty ridiculous things. Any of you uh, have a stubborn person in your life? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. I was thinking about asking everybody to raise their hand if they're stubborn, but I figured if you're stubborn, you're not going to do it, right? Like, it would just be self-defeating. And, and anytime you've, like, bumped into get against that stubbornness, it's always really rational, right? Real rational stubbornness. I mean, you've given them all the facts. Um, I, I don't, I've never been struck by a porcupine quill, but what I understand is, like, the harder you try to pull it out, they've got these barbs, and the, digger, the, 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 the deeper it digs in. Um, and I feel like stubborn people are like that. The harder, you, the more you try to push, the more they're just like, they're digging in. Not because it's what they truly believe, it's because you're trying to push them in a direction. Stubbornness. Um, so I, I, I want to, uh, this is not a, I, I'm going to give you a couple of examples. And I want you to tell me, is this an example of standing firm, a principled stand on something important? Or is this an example of stubbornness, Okay. Principled stand or ridiculous stubbornness. First example, uh, this is a picture of Emmett Pearson. Anybody offhand know who this is, Emmett Pearson? Uh, well, he watched the Vikings lose the Super Bowl back in whatever, 1857 or whatever it was. And he decided that he was going to grow his beard until the Vikings won another Super Bowl. His wife pleaded with him. Not to grow the beard. Because it's not like a nice looking beard. You know what I mean? It's not like this is a good look on anybody. He does look like he's from 1857. Um, his, his daughter at their wedding asked him to shave his beard. And he would not. He has five children. Three of whom never saw him without a beard. Is this a principled stand? Or is this stubbornness? <laughs> I heard somebody shout out principled. Go Vikings, right? Uh, this, is pretty, this is pretty stubborn. This is pretty stubborn. Um, poor Emmett Pearson is no longer with us. He died, and he demanded that he have an open casket funeral so everybody could see that he still had the beard. Principled standard stubbornness. This seems pretty stubborn to me. It seems pretty stubborn. Uh, this next picture is a picture of Harry Randall Truman. you got to use his middle name because there's other Harry Trumans. This is Harry Randall Truman, and he's pictured there uh, in front of uh, Mount St. Helens in 1980-whatever, 1980-whatever it was. And he lived near the foot of Mount St. Helens. Um, and most of you have, you know, you remember what happened at Mount St. Helens. And they told Harry Randall Truman, you got to move, you got to move, you got to move. This thing's going to blow. And he said, it will never make it to me. It will never make it to me. Uh, Harry Randall Truman was the type of guy who wore socks and sandals too, by the way. I thought I should point that out. Um, Harry Randall Truman, uh, Mount St. Helens Blue, and he did not make it. Did not make it. Uh, didn't want to leave his home. Principled stand or stubbornness? Stubbornness. Yeah. Um, I, there's some more examples. I, and I, we just don't have time. But you notice two consistencies with the last two uh, examples I gave you? Two consistencies? Yes, they are all dudes. 
And they both died, right? <laughs> Dudes and death. And listen, I promise you, I earnestly searched for examples involving females because I didn't want to be all stereotypical and people be like, whatever, you're just you're buying into stereotypes. I could not find any. <laughs> and so, so guys, let me just say this. We, guys, we may not have the market cornered on stubbornness, but we are most definitely the face of the brand. I'm not going to ask for directions. I'm not going to go to the doctor. Can you imagine asking for directions on your way to the doctor? I mean, that would just be like the worst, <laughs> worst possible case scenario. Um, uh, worst possible case scenario. So the, the question is, do I have the picture of the billboard up there? I wanted to, is that up there? I want to show you just one more, one more. It, bear with me. So this is a billboard, and I love this. Uh, this year, thousands of men will die from stubbornness. Uh, a man came along and graffitied on this billboard and wrote this. I love it! I love it. I love it. No, we won't. This is a sentiment that we find all over Scripture, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Stand firm, let nothing move you. And that sounds like stubbornness, but it matters what it's about. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, or 1 Corinthians 16, 13. This is, again, both are Paul. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Um, I, I, uh, I, was, I got an il illustration here that I want to bring out. This, uh, this right here is, this is a safe. And uh, here we go. Um, I was under the impression that safes, 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 safes are supposed to be big, like hard to move around. But this one has got like convenient little carrying handles. Like, so I guess if you're a burglar, this is the kind of safe you really want to go for. You just take it with you and, and uh, try to open it, you know, at your leisure, wherever you are. But I, I, I bring this out because um, I, I want to use this as an illustration for um, our, our capacity that we all have, all humans have, men, women, children, everybody has. I mean, some children are pretty stubborn, right? All people have this capacity that we have to like, like just hold on to certain things and just like with a death grip. I, I want to imagine that there are certain things in our life that we place in a safe. And these things are like the non-negotiables of life. Like we are just, we are not going to be persuaded. We are not going to be deterred. We are not going to be moved. And these things that we believe, that we think, behaviors, things that matter to us, they go in the safe and they are just like practically untouchable. That's what I want this safe to represent, all right? So these are just things that nobody can, can, can even come, come close to. Now, um, and, and, there's, and, and it matters what goes in the safe. I, I've mentioned this before, but it's been a while, so you've probably forgotten, especially if people can't remember from Sunday to Tuesday, you've probably forgotten this. But at the last church uh, I worked at, I remember one of the older ladies in the congregation, her and her husband were in their 80s, and she was talking about being um, a, a young girl, and her dad had this, his firm belief that was just untouchable was that they were going to go to church on Sunday no matter what. There was never, it did, if you were sick, you just spread the disease, right? There's no, there's never any skipping church. So every Sunday you got up, you went to church. She lived way out in the country, her and her family lived way out in the country, and uh, one Sunday morning they got up, they all were dressed up, they all got in the car, piled in, ready to go to church, and the transmission on the car wasn't working. 
transmission on the car wasn't working. And so the kids are like, hmm, what's dad going to do? I mean, he's got such a principled stand here. He's never going to compromise. He's never going to change his mind. What's he going to do? Now, I, I was asking her questions about this, and I was like, well, why didn't you just call a neighbor? And she's like, you didn't just have a phone back then. You just didn't get on the phone and call somebody. But it was too late for someone to kind of swing by and pick us up and get to church. So all the kids were like, oh, what's going to happen? Because dad has a firm, principled stand on this. And so you know what? The kids were starting to get out of the car, and he's like, nope, stay in there. And you know what dad did? There was one gear on the car that worked, and it was reverse. So dad, principled stand that he was taking, reversed the entire way to church. And I was like, I think that's illegal. I don't think you're allowed to do that, but I kind of respect it. Part of me is like, yeah, you go, dad. And the other part of me is like, I don't know. I think you could get thrown in jail because that seems super dangerous to reverse all the way to church. But that for him is something that was in the safe. And I think, I think you may not always know what's in the safe for you, but the people around you do. The people around you do. There are certain things that just matter so deeply. And here's the crazy thing about us as humans. For us, some of us think we have certain things in the safe, but we've just never been in the right situations to find out whether or not they'll stand up to the pressure that, that, that could be exerted on them. Some of us want things to be in here that aren't. And some of us have things in here that sh probably shouldn't be. And this is not whether or not you go to uh, drive in reverse to church on Sunday. But you should ask yourself, what is in the safe? What is in the safe? Because you will find yourself in situations where life chips away at those ideals. They just, in fact, you will find yourself among people who disagree with the things that you feel are most important to life, and they will discourage you from maintaining those ideals. You will find yourself in situations where people will think that you're not just ridiculous, but maybe even wrong for taking a principled stand on certain things. And we have to find out what is it truly that are our non-negotiables, the things that matter most to us. In, um, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus spoke of this, and he used a, a different metaphor, obviously, because he's a much better teacher than I am. But he talked about uh, at the end of this famous sermon that he preached, and he's just preached three chapters of mind-blowing content. It's like everything you think about when you think about the words Jesus said is in these three chapters, practically everything. And it's things like love your enemies and seek first the kingdom of God. I mean, it's all that. And, and people were listening to this and they're like, ah, I want to be that type of person. I want to be someone who is like that. Be a, he talks about salt and light and all that in this passage. And then as he gets, gets to the very end, he wraps up by saying this. This is the conclusion of his sermon. Therefore... Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. If you do these things, if you put these things in the safe, man, they're just untouchable. He talks about the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. You remember this when you were in Bible class when you were a kid. And then, of course, there's the other side of the story. The guy who built his house on sand. And he went out in the world and everything could push him around. And it didn't matter and he didn't have anything that he was going to really uh, build his life on or die for. I think it's worth for us stopping and considering what are our beliefs and practices and ideals? What are those things that are most important to me? 
What are those things that are most important to our family, for you and your spouse to to stop and think about? What are the things that we want to make sure we instill in our children? What are the things that are just going to be non-negotiables, the things that are going to be most important uh, to us? Should growing a beard because you're a Vikings fan go in the safe? No. (laughs) That that seems like a waste of willpower, right? Use it on something better, man. Should should staying in your home, despite the fact that it's on the base of Mount St. Helens and you just don't want to move? No, no. But are there things that should go into our foundational principles and the way we and guide the way we live? Absolutely. And I just sometimes worry that we as Christians have never really decided that those things are going to be at the very core of who we are. And they're going to be non-negotiables. And we're not going to change our mind. And we're going to be inflexible on them. And so I, I guess maybe what you could say is that the major difference between stubbornness and standing Um, at least for us, is whether or not our pride or our priorities are calling the shots. I feel like the guy that wouldn't shave his beard, there's just some pride wrapped up in there. Not really a principled stand. Whether or not our pride or priorities are calling the shots. So the other question we need to ask ourselves is what should not be in the safe? What do we have in here that we're just like ridiculous and silly about? And maybe you should ask your spouse or a loved one or someone you really trust, hey, what am I stubborn about that I've just got to ease up and stop being so ridiculous? So I think, um, I think the biggest threat to our core values, whatever, whatever they may be, um, isn't necessarily direct adversity or direct contradiction to them. Um, I don't know, maybe something like this has happened to you, and it feels like every time I, I go to the tire store, this happens to me, where I have a flat tire or a tire that's leaking air, and I think to myself, okay, Patrick, you're going to go in there, and you're going to tell them, just fix the tire, that you don't want new tires. You don't want one new tire. You don't want four new tires. You're going to go in there and just say, please fix my tire. Don't make me any other offers. That's always how this works for me. And I go in there, and they're like, what's the problem? Tire's leaking. Okay, we'll get it fixed. And, you know, you can wait in the waiting room. There's some terrible coffee and some old magazines. All right, you know, Patrick, stand firm. Stand firm. And then the guy will come back in. And he'll be like, oh, we've got to talk to you. Oh, okay, what's the problem? Well, that tire, it's, it's really bad. Oh, yeah, I know. It was leaking, and I need you to fix it. No, 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 no. Uh, it's, it's really bad. That, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't have the new uh, glow-in-the-dark self-inflating technology. I'm like, oh, well, I don't, think I, I don't think I need that. Oh, yeah, but these new tires over here, they're on sale today only. I mean, they're like genuine goat skin tires, and they're really, you need these tires. And then part of me, there's just this little part of me that's like, okay, well, uh, how much are they? Oh, they're only $1,000 today, or you can get four for $5,000. You know, this is a great deal today. <laughs> oh, no, uh, I, don't, I don't think I want to do that. Uh, I just, maybe, could we maybe fix just the flat tire? And then they'll say something like, sir, do you have children? <laughs> yes, I have children. Do you care about their safety? Yes, I care about their safety. Well, sir, if you genu- genuinely care about their safety, you are going to have to get these new tires. I'm, I'm just afraid. I don't think I can let you out of here. Please just fl- fix the flat tire. You know, If I cry tears, will you just fix the flat tire? And I feel like I get myself in these situations where, where it's not necessarily that it's just somebody chipping away at my ideals. It's like in the moment I get kind of confused and I roll out of the tire store with four new tires instead of the, just fix the flat because I, I lost perspective on what really mattered. And I think that there's a spiritual equivalent of that. 
parents, I know we, we've talked about kids a lot today, but parents, some of you are like, you know what, I just, I will never let my kids do X, Y, or Z. You know, I don't think it's healthy for their faith, and, and, and I just, I don't, I don't want to do it. And you and your wife, you agree, and we're not going to let our kids do this, and maybe your kids get to that age, and all the other parents are letting their kids do that thing. And you're just thinking like, well, yeah, but I mean, I don't know, are they, is that really the right thing? And your kids are begging for you to let them do whatever that thing is. Will you just let us? And in your mind, you start to wonder, like, it, it, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, I'm, maybe this isn't right. Maybe I'm, in fact, what you start to worry about is like, maybe I'm harming my kids if I don't let them do this thing that everybody else is doing. And they'll be the only kids who aren't or whatever it is. And sometimes... We struggle with standing firm on issues, not because it's easier to give in, but because we get confused about what's really right. Sometimes life creates this fog of, of like, are you sure? Is that really the right thing? But everybody else is. And I know we, we say, well, I'm not going to give in to everybody else, but man, that's a powerful manipulator in the moment. Am I doing something wrong with me or with my kids? So moral courage isn't just about courage. It's, it's standing firm is not always about or only about the what, but it's about the why as well and making sure that we're solid about why we're doing this. So there's a million things we could talk about. There's a million more things we could talk about. Um, there's a million applications of this. There's a million ways that we could think about this in our lives. But I, just, I guess I want us to think about what if we were a church that was, was full of people with moral conviction that not only, not, not, we didn't have ridiculous stuff in here. We were very cautious and thoughtful about what we said, this is going to be where I take my stand. But what if we were a church just full of moral conviction? We, we would say things like, I am not going to let injustice happen in my presence. I'm not going to allow that. I, I, I'm not going to allow people to go uncared for or unloved. I am not going to pass by somebody that needs something that I can give. I'm not going to do that. That is going to go in my safe. What, what if we were a church full of people like that. I, I think we would be a church like this church we read about in 1 Thessalonians. Like just, they're doing awesome. They're doing awesome because they had managed to maintain what truly mattered in spite of these difficult circumstances. They were an awesome church. So we're, we're still reading through 1 Thessalonians and we're gonna, we're, as we wrap up this morning, I just wanna encourage you to come back because next week we're gonna talk about like one of the most important guiding principles for life. Just above everything else, the most important guiding principles that will help you make decisions in any given situation that will help you see clearly through kind of the fog of confusion. So that's the church I want to be like. The church that, that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 it says you were a model to everyone around you. That's what I want us to be like. But it has to be because we have certain things that we will not negotiate on. That we care so much about that we are not, never going to let those things go. Not just simply because we're stubborn but because those things are right and we are going to take a stand on those things. Let's pray and then we'll be dismissed. Father in heaven, I just, I thank you for your word and just being able to, to dig into it and kind of get a sense of, of where you're leading us and guiding us, Lord. And I pray uh, for those of us in the room that maybe are struggling with what is most important to us, what really truly matters to us. And I just pray, God, you would give us the moral courage uh, to not only develop our beliefs, but to hold firm to those things, even when there are just incredible pressures to give in and change and adjust and reevaluate. 
Lord, we pray that we would not be stubborn people who do not grow and do not let your spirit get into our hearts and lives and challenge us and transform us. But we, would, we also pray that we'd be people who stand firm for the things that most matter in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.